You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. You guys ready to hear the word? I'm, I'm ready to give it. I'm, I'm uh, locked and loaded and ready to share. Thank you, sir. Just right there is, would be amazing. Uh, that way is perfect. Yes, sir. Need the blank side out. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Perfect. So, you know, uh, it's interesting. I just want to say something very quickly about the the over the overcomer's uh, blessing, as we're calling it. You know, the Lord gave that to me in prayer one day, and I just wrote it down. And you know, the word was was, and we've just yet to do it because we have a couple things on our plate. But uh, we uh, we're gonna make out we're gonna make a card with that on the front, and on the back side is gonna have all of the verses that reference that because you are speaking the word. It's just it's just I don't wanna say modified. We're not into modifying the word, but. Uh, you are speaking the word. We'll just put it in just language that's maybe common to us. And, uh, you know, the word was written so it could, so it could be, um, excuse me, it was spoken so it could be written so it could be spoken. That's the reason why the word was written down so we could take it and not just put it into us, but release it through our words because there's great power in the things that we speak. You can find this all through the word to where there's heart believing and there's mouth speaking. So when we take our 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 mouth and line it up with the word, great things can happen. It's interesting because we've, um, not not with you guys or not on the Perigo campus, but just some different folks from the outside of, you know, have said, oh, well, that's, you know, you're got, you guys are like one of those like prosperity. You're preaching the prosperity gospel. Let me just say this. Let me say it this way. There's a difference between um, preaching like the prosperity gospel versus preaching a gospel that is there to prosper you. Because see, prosperity, it's not limited to finances, but it does include finances. If you don't believe that, then throw everything about Abraham's life out. Because Abraham was rich in gold and silver and livestock. It's what it says. And it says that um, through faith, that the blessing of Abraham has come upon the Gentiles through faith in Christ Jesus. And that's in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13, 14, somewhere around there. And so the blessing that was on Abraham, and you say, well, that was, because, that was faith righteousness. Abraham had righteousness given to him because of his faith. And so that's the blessing we have. Yes, but righteousness is not limited to right standing. It's positional. And when we came into Christ through faith in him, it seated us in a position of royalty. And God's arm is not short. Hallelujah. So I like just coming into agreement with what God says about us. Amen. The days ahead, I don't care what happens in the world. I mean, I do care, but no matter what happens in the world, it looks really, really bright for us. So um, I, I want to I share this. I'm going to start uh, uh, almost backwards, and you'll see what I, what I mean. Some people are like, yeah, you're a little bit backwards anyways. But uh, we're going we're gonna to go to Matthew chapter. Actually, let's go to Mark first. Let's go to Mark chapter 4. And I'm going to share with you tonight from the parable of the sower. This is one of my most favorite places in the whole Bible. I, I, I think this is probably maybe one of the most five important passages. If I could list it down to five, this would be in the top five, I think, or top ten for sure. Let's go with top five. I, that's, that's probably pretty safe to say. And 
The reason is, is because, and I, and I refer to this as the paramount parable, and it's because Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, how can you understand all of the other parables? So that's a really, really important statement, and this is mentioned, um, listed in three of the Gospels. So whenever the Lord says something, anything that Jesus said is important, but whenever it's listed in three different places, he's really trying to get our attention so we don't miss it. So Matthew records this, Mark records this, and then also Luke records this same instance of the parable of the sower. And what I want to do, because if I don't read it, I'll, I'll, never, I'll never get to it. I want to read the parable and... Um, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some things concerning it. So let's actually start in verse 3 of Mark chapter 4. So verse 3 of Mark chapter 4, it says, Listen, behold, now these are the words of Jesus. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not, not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up and increased and produced some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. And then in verse 9, it says, And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you, it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. Notice that he's speaking about the kingdom of God here. It says, and then in verse 12, it says, so that seeing they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And I used to read this and I would think, man, this sounds like Jesus doesn't want anybody to understand anything. But what he's saying is that he's hiding things in parables so that people that don't have a heart for God won't understand the things of God. But the people that would say yes to Jesus, he hides things in parables for them. So they're hidden from the world, but they're hidden for the saints who call on the name of the Lord and become his disciples. Hallelujah. That's good news for us. And then in verse 13, it says, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? And I could just hear Jesus' emphasis. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? So he's saying, you got to get this. You really have to understand what's happening here. And so then in verse 14, he goes on and he begins to explain it. He says, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside when they hear, uh, uh, excuse me, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. Now, I want to stop right there, and I want to jump over to Matthew's um, account. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 13 and in verse 19, and I want to look at this one verse here real quick. And we'll find ourselves back in in Mark, but I want to see something here. So where we just read in Mark, this is the same account and same verse in Matthew. But I want you to notice his language here is just slightly different. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, and then it goes on from there. So Mark says, if anyone hears the, the word, and so hearing is the first step, but if anyone hears the word, and Matthew says, if anyone hears the word of the kingdom... And the reason I'm pointing this out is because this this parable is more than just talking about the word, but it's talking about the kingdom. It's talking about how the kingdom operates. It's talking about how the kingdom works. And the deal is, is that we're in a kingdom. 
We're in the kingdom of God. Now, naturally speaking, we wouldn't call it this, but we're in the kingdom of the United States. We, we don't call it that. We are, a, uh, we are a constitutional republic, or you could say we're a democratic republic. We are not a democracy. Um, we are a democratic republic, which means that we have a right to vote, but we have a constitution that guides the individuals, and it's the government of the people, by the people, for the people, but that's for another time and another place. But I do thank God for America. 246 years and I believe we're going to have another 246 years. I want to leave something amazing for my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids to live in. But we do live in a, in a kingdom. We live in a nation, and it has things that govern how it operates. And so here he's saying that this is the word of the kingdom. And he's saying, and he goes on to give some instruction here, that this is how the kingdom operates. If you don't know the laws of the kingdom, then you can't operate to the full extent within the kingdom. I don't know about you, but whenever I see the, uh, the speed limit sign and it says 70, I don't go 60. I'll just tell you that. I like to go as fast as I possibly can within the legal speed limit. I'm not saying that I've never gone over the speed limit, but anyways, we're not talking about my sins. We're here to talk about yours. No, we're not talking about anybody's, okay? But... um. But, you know, interesting, and I, I shared this before kind of in another analogy, but we used to drive back and forth to Colorado a lot, and Colorado, the speed limit's been uh, 75 for as long as I can remember. Missouri's, I think it's still 70 on every interstate, but Kansas, Kansas should be like 105 because it's like, there's like nothing there, but it was 70 miles per hour for the longest time, and so whenever we go through Kansas, you just knew the speed limit's 70. Well, one day I happened to look up and notice that the speed limit had changed to 75. And I don't know when, and I was already well into Kansas. It wasn't right at the line. I was already well into it. Well, do you know that because I didn't know the, the law had changed, or I didn't know the law of the speed limit that was happening there in the state of Kansas, I could not operate to the fullest extent of what the law would allow me to operate? Amen. You see what I'm drawing here? So if we don't understand how the kingdom works, we can't draw on all the benefits of what the kingdom has to offer. And this parable um, is something that's really, really important. Now, I want you to, you should have your place hopefully held in Mark. And I want to show you something in Mark, but then I also want you to go to Luke. And again, these are the same, this is the same parable in three places. And I want you to see something here. So in Luke chapter 8 and verse 15... I want to show you something here. So let's, as a matter of fact, let's read Mark's account. And if we can pull it up on the screen and then everybody can hear. We're going to go to verse 20. We can all see it and we can all hear it. Mark 4 and 20. And then we're going to go immediately to Luke 8 and 15. And this is the same uh, instance recorded in Mark and also recorded in Luke. And so Mark 4:20. here's what it says. But these are the ones sown on good ground. So Jesus has now given all the explanation of the parable, which we're going to, if we have time tonight, we're going to go back and we're going to look at all of the verses uh, between 14 and 20 because we didn't cover those. But I'm jumping to 20 because I want to make a point here. Uh, it says, but these are the ones sown on good ground. And so he goes through four different types of ground. He goes through a wayside, and he's talking about the heart, right? And he talks about the wayside heart. He talks about the stony heart. He talks about the heart sown among thorns. And then he talks about the good ground. And he said, but these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Now I want to jump over to... Uh, Luke's account, and I want to show you something here. 
And in Luke it says, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Now I'm going to get into this a little bit here tonight, but Luke gives us the most explanation as to how you actually operate with a, with a, a heart of good soil or with a good heart or with a heart that's ready to receive and to produce. Because I don't know about you all, but I don't want to just have uh, I don't want to just have soil and just have good soil. I want it to produce. And this is another way of putting this that a lot of people don't know, but you and I, every one of us, it's really true of every human being, to be honest with you, but certainly the people of God, we are spiritual farmers. I know if you ever thought about it that way, but Jesus uses a lot of parables to describe what's happening spiritually, and he uses natural parables to bring about a spiritual picture. And this, of course, is one of the most classic ones. But you and I are spiritual farmers, and that means that we have, uh, and there's probably, I don't know, is there any far, actual farmers in this, this room, or you grew up farming maybe? Maybe two or three of you? Yeah, okay, so a little bit of farming we know, but most of us probably really don't know that much about farming, but we've got some basic idea. You got ground, you put the seed in the ground, you tend to the ground, and then up comes the thing and you get a harvest, right? And so that's the basic idea here. Well, it's the same thing when it comes to uh, producing results in your heart. And, you know, if you were going to have a bag of seed in your ground, I mean, in your, in your barn, and you left it in your barn, and you never opened it, and you never tilled the ground, and you never put it in the ground, do you know that you would never reap a harvest? Now, I want to say this without sounding mean, but I'll just be honest. <laughs> Spiritually, a lot of believers are the exact same way. They have a whole bag of seed. They probably have like five or seven bags of seed. I have more Bibles than I can, than I can count I've given away a lot of Bibles because I'm like, I don't know how I got so many Bibles. Amazing the difference between America and a lot of the countries that are going on around the world. There are people in China. I just, I just read something. I think it was this morning or last night. There are people in China that uh, they will, they'll get Bibles. There'll be a, a, an underground church of 10 or 15, and they'll get a couple of Bibles, and they'll pass it around, and they'll memorize the Bible because they know that they can't keep it but they can keep it here because nobody can take it away from them when it's on the inside of here. And so, but we live in this world where it's like, well, Jesus, I hope I have time for you today. Like we need to like readjust our meter and our measure of what we're really doing. And I'm not trying to bring condemnation, but it is kind of a, an enlightening thing that, you know, God and the word is the most important thing. So a lot of people, they've got bags of seed that are laying, laying uh, on their coffee table, on their bookshelf or whatever, and they never open the bag up. They never plow the soil of their heart. They never plant the seed, and therefore they don't get a harvest. But then they wonder why everything's falling apart. They're like, God, things are just so messed up. And they got all the lists of things. And I think that the Lord, sometimes it feels silent to people because they've not opened up their Bible, which is the primary way that God speaks to us is through his word. And so, hallelujah, there's a little nuggets there for you guys. But here's the deal about this is that when you look at this verse, it says, and I want to go back and hit the verses previous, but I really feel impressed to hit this. And I want to show you something. And this is the goal of what we're going at. Um, but it says, those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Now go back. And so there's, go back to Mark's account, Mark 420. But 
We can see there that Luke gives us some recipe, which we're going to get back into. But look at what it says here in Mark's account. It says, but these are the ones sown on good ground, those who heard the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Now, I used to read this and think that this was talking about, like, well, some people have got a better ground than others. Or some people have just got some issues, and so they're only producing 30, whereas brother so-and-so is producing 60, and uh, sister got it all together. She's producing a hundredfold, right? And that's how I used to view this, but that's not what this is talking about at all, because it already gave three examples of other hearts, of, of hearts that needed some work to be able to keep and retain and produce a seed without the cares of this world and all the troubles of life choking and destroying the seed that's in the ground. It already dealt with all that. This is talking about a good soil. This is talking about good heart. So why does some produce 30, some 60, and some 100? This is talking about, I truly believe this is talking about capacity. This is talking about the capacity we have to handle what it is that God has given us. And if there's one thing I have learned, I'll say two things I have learned. One is, is that God wants us to have the more. But two is, is that oftentimes the wisdom of the master comes into play at the same time the love of the father is dishing out. Sometimes the wisdom of the master will keep us from stepping into the more, even though the love of the father is for us to have all of it. And I've, I'm so thankful that at times, you know, I prayed for things and I didn't see it happen. And now I'm not talking about things that we have a covenant right and a covenant access to even instantly. There are some things that we can take authority over in this earth. God has given us authority over things. You don't have to take anything from the devil. Because he, it says that he gave his disciples power and authority over all sickness, over all disease, and over all demonic spirits. We have authority over the enemy, over sickness, over disease. So I'm not talking about that stuff, but I am talking about life things. I'm talking about plans. I'm talking about stepping into more. I'm talking about having more to steward. I'm talking about producing more in your life. There were things that I prayed for. There were things that Liz and I prayed for. And it was like, you know, when we first started the church in Perryville, I mean, it was just like, we love Jesus. And we're here to tell you about Jesus. And Lord, we just want to see this place explode. And then like years later, it really wasn't a whole lot bigger, but we realized if it had gotten bigger, all we would have had was a bigger mess because we didn't know what we were doing for about five or six years. I mean, we loved God. We loved the word. We taught. We ministered to people. We loved on people the best that we could, but we didn't know what we were doing. And all of a sudden, one day I was sitting in my office and I said, Lord, something has to change. And I was reading in Proverbs, and I came across this verse, and it says that surely the plans, uh, excuse me, the plans of the diligent lead surely to, to plenty. Where is that? Proverbs 20, somewhere around there. It says, surely the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. And the Lord said, you're very diligent, but you don't have any plans. And I was like, oh, well, I need to get some plans. So over the process, over about two years, the Lord began to show us how to put things in order inside the church. And then it took about three years to deal with the people that hated my guts and were, were wanting to take over the church. It took a little while for them to just be lovingly uh, pushed out. I've come to find out that not everybody is with you. By the way, I brought these here tonight, and I know I'm on a little bit rabbit trail, uh, I'm not trying to sell a book. If any of you guys haven't read this, you need to read this. This will let you in a little bit on my heart, and I will give this to you. You can just have it, and it's yours. It's free. I don't want any money for it. Um, but this will let you in a little bit on how, on how I tick and what ticks me off. 
Because I am a kingdom builder. I'm interested in building. People don't tick me off, by the way. But demons and people sometimes tick me off. Um, but I'm interested in building God's kingdom. I'm not interested in building Kent's kingdom. I'm not interested in just having another church. I'm interested in having a people that are set on fire by heaven, willing to do whatever it takes to reach the lost and to create an atmosphere here that is full of peace, that's full of unity, that's full of love, faith, excellence, honor, and hospitality. That's why we have core values on the wall. That's what we're after. And so, you know, in here I talk about uh, the difference between spectators, sandballots, which a sandballot was one that came against Nehemiah. Spectators, sandballots, uh, builders, because the builders, they put, um, they help Nehemiah build the wall. And then Nehemiahs are the ones that will carry the vision and the blueprints and all that kind of stuff. And there's difference in those things. And everybody should be in the realm of a builder or a Nehemiah. Nobody should be sitting and doing nothing. It doesn't mean you got to work yourself to death or whatever, but it's a, this is a family. There's all these pictures. I got it on the other side of the board because I talked about it last week, which, by the way, it didn't get recorded. I apologize for those. We had some technical difficulties. But anyways, I talked about the different pictures of the church. And, you know, one of the pictures of the church is that we are a family. And in my family, because we have four boys, they're required to do some things around the house. Aren't they, Kingston? <laughs> Kingston's like, what did I not do? Nothing. <laughs> he does, he's a very, very good older brother, and he, he's, he takes good lead. But, you know, it's, it's not just for Liz and I to do the dishes and to mow the grass and to do the weeding and those kind of things. When you, when you become part of a family, and this is, what, this is what covenant people look like, when they come in and they start to build relationship with one another, they partake of the work that's there so that it's not all on one or two people. And so the Lord has really given us some wisdom in this. But then, but then I, we went through this series where we were dealing with sandballots. I mean, I had people making, if you go and read in Nehemiah about sandballot, there was people making accusation against him. There was people, uh, particularly, I'm sorry, reading about Nehemiah, sandballot was the one, and he had some people with him. Sandballot was the one that was leading the charge to bring accusation and to bring all these things against Nehemiah. Most all of it was a, it all was a, was a lie and it all was all this kind of stuff. And you would think that stuff doesn't go on in church, inside of churches, but we found out it goes on inside of churches. And so when I started to stand up and say, wait a second, there's one authority in this church and it's the God-ordained authority that he set. We're going to do things the right way and we're going to have order. And then within just months, peace. Peace. There is nothing I will fight for more in a family than peace. Any of that got kids, the thing that you, not that you ever hated your kids, but if there's one thing you ever hated that your kids did was bicker and fight with one another, I mean, you just want to get in there and knock them all out because it's like, whoa, wait a second here. I burst you to enjoy you, and you're being unenjoyable. And so there's something about people coming in and just having peace, and that's why there is no room for disgruntledness. There is no room for slander. There is no room for backbiting. There is no room for negativeness. And I know some people, you know, they'll hear me say things like that and they'll go, well, you, I mean, you're, you're just being controlling. No, 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 no. It's order. The enemy always has a perverted view on everything. And the perverted view on order and proper authority within a, within a work, within a house, is to call the one that is called to lead to call them controlling. 
Anybody that would call a, a leader, now, can leaders be controlling? Oh, yeah. I've been underneath of some very controlling leaders before in my life. Uh, and I don't have time to get into all that. But, yeah, leaders can be controlling. But the, when you find leaders that are looking to lift you and encourage you and strengthen you and send you and help you and promote you, that's not a controlling leader. You find controlling leaders usually are some of the most insecure and they're insecure because they got a lot of issues going on inside themselves. And so they are afraid for people to rise up. My goal and my heart, and, and this is Liz and I's heart, is that we see people go rise up and go beyond where we are at. That's my word. I mean, that's my goal. And the thing that God's given me that we're after is to see people go further than where we are at. But there just has to come to this place to where, and you say, why are you sharing all this? Because... I just want to make sure, like, I, in Perryville, for years, and finally people are like, Pastor, why are you talking about walking in unity? I think everyone's got it. And I'm like, I just want to make sure everybody's got it, really got it, like, really got it, like, really got it, because all of the in-between things is where it counts. Sundays are, oh, we love you, greet, shake hands, we love you. Oh, you're just so awesome. I love you with the love of the Lord. And then you walk out the door and it's like this. I'm not saying anybody's doing that. I'm just saying that can happen if you aren't careful. And the thing that I value more than anything else is people walking in love and unity. Hallelujah. Detour. Just because it's probably for those that are watching on live stream. We love you on live stream or the replay or listen to the podcast on the replay. Hallelujah. But part of this is just so you can be aware and you can take watch. You can take note. We shouldn't walk in suspicion, but we should walk in discernment. It's always somebody's brother, cousin, uncle, grandma, whatever. I've had times with my own family members where I had to sit them down and say, look. And, you know, Katie and I, <laughs> we, you know, we're, we're brother and sister. She's not here tonight. They're out of town. But we're brother and sister. And we have these and she's so honoring of what God's called me into. Um, but we have a lot of our brother-sister things that, that happen in conversation. And before we know it, we're like, we're like this. And then one of us will say to the other one, whoa, 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 just pull back here for a second. So we don't really let people in on those conversations because they'd be like, oh, my gosh, the pastor and his sister are at each other's throats. But it, it would only look like that to you. We're really not. We just, we just have intense fellowship sometimes. But we get things done, and we really, really do love each other. Katie and I have a great relationship, and I honor the gifting and the calling that's on her. And uh, so praise the Lord. Um, I don't know where I was going with all that, but praise God. God's awesome. I want to share with you guys what I believe this is talking about capacity. And so there has to be something in us that we have to be, we have to want more. I believe we should always be content, but we should never be satisfied. We should always be content, but we should never be satisfied. You might phrase it different, but this is how I look at it, is that no matter what state I'm in, and, and I don't mean one of the 50 states, but I mean whatever conditions going on in the world, whatever I'm being faced with, I should be content with who I am in Christ, who Christ is in me, my relationship with him. God's awesome. Jesus is Lord. We should be content with all of that. But at the same time, the level of manifestation of the kingdom of God we should have a desire to see it increase. And you know why? Because the government rests on his shoulders and there is no end to the increase of his government or his peace. Let me pull this up, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. 
Let's pull this up. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. I didn't give the guys back there. I didn't give them this verse. So we'll give them a second to pull this up. Let me show you this. Because there has to be something in us that makes a personal decision with us that we are going to go for the more and we're not going to let anything stop us from getting the more that God has for us. Whatever that, whatever that looks like for you, you might be someone that's just like, you're passionate about winning souls. I'm looking at Dale back here. He's like, he eats, sleeps, breathes, winning people to Jesus. Well, if he's got a goal or something in his mind of leading people to the Lord, he shouldn't be, he shouldn't be satisfied until he sees that come to pass. And whatever needs to be broken in him, and I'm just using you as an example, and I'm not saying anything needs to be broken, but whatever would need to be broken in him or spiritually or something, nothing should stop him. And that's the same for, for all of us. Nothing should stop us. But you know, I found that a lot of people, they, they find themselves at this place to where they're like, um, they're like stuck and it's almost like they can't go up any higher. It's like there's a glass ceiling to where it's like they just can't seem to go up any higher. You gotta take authority over that stuff. Allow the, invite the Lord right into the middle of your situation, right into the middle of what's going on, and allow God in, to, to empower you to get you past because God is a God of increase. If you don't believe that God is a God of increase, then you don't believe Genesis, you don't believe Exodus, you don't believe Joshua, you don't believe Psalms, you don't believe Proverbs, you don't believe any of the prophets, you don't believe any of the Gospels. If you go and think about it, God is always looking to increase his people. He took them out of bondage to bring them into the promised land. They were the ones that stayed there for 40 years because of their disobedience. It wasn't God that left them there. We can absolutely limit what God wants to do in our life. We are the greatest limiting factor to what God will do in our life. As a matter of fact, it says in Psalms, I think it's 78 verse 51, somewhere around there, it says that they limited the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel was speaking about God. And it says that they, the children of Israel, limited him. They capped God. Can you imagine that? That sounds like blasphemy. If I said that in, in a lot of circles around the nation, they would say, if I came in and said, hey, you can limit God, you can limit what God can do in your life, they would say, heresy. <laughs> but yet the Bible says that you can do that. If it wasn't true that you could do that, then the parable of the sower should be totally thrown out. Because as far as I can tell, it's the word and the word of the kingdom that gets sown. And depending upon what's going on inside of your heart makes a difference on what's happening with the seed that was placed in or on your heart. And God doesn't have control over your heart. You do. We blame a lot of things on God that are really just the result of us not being good spiritual farmers. So let's look at this verse here in Isaiah chapter, wherever it was, 9, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Let's pull this up here. It says, for unto us a child, and this is a prophecy about Jesus coming. And it says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Now this isn't talking about the United States government or, you know, the Soviet Union or something like that. This is talking about the kingdom of God. It's talking about God's government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now look at verse 7 here, and it says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So if we're talking about God's government is, is essentially God's kingdom, we all can see that. We can put two and two together and see that, right? So if we're talking about God's government, that there is no, 
there's no end to it. The increase of his government and peace, there will be no end, which means that it's going, this, the way I see it is that Jesus came to establish his government here on the earth. It's already here. It's just that from the time he was here, I believe until the time of the millennial reign, and probably, and I believe if you take this scripture to literally like what it says, there will be no end. It will continue to increase throughout eternity. And see, the deal is, is that a real government, God's the one that established government. He's not the one that puts some of these yahoos in place. He never wanted Hitler to come in and kill however many people, or Stalin, or Mussolini, or any of this. So you have to be able to rightly divide the word of truth and realize that God established government, but he didn't establish some of the knuckleheads to come in and do some of the knuckleheaded things. I better not go down that road, because then I could be talking about election things, and I don't want to do that. Well, I do, but then people always give me trouble later. Not anybody here, but just, we get a lot of goofy people that, whatever. Anyways, when you put things on the line, you're all over. Well, not all over, but more than you are here. Okay, anyways, so there's, there's no, there's no, there's no limit to this. So here's the way that I see it, is that if he's given us a parable that says that this is how the kingdom of God operates. And depending on what you do with this parable, with us understanding, depending on what you do with it, will make a difference on the manifestation or the level of manifestation that you have. You know what that tells me? There's more to be had even here on this earth. Because if you're talking about the soil of your heart, you can't be talking about when you're in heaven because things get made right there. You have to be talking about where we're at right now. So once you get to the place to where you have a good heart and you can produce 30, 60, or 100-fold, what's the difference? It's capacity. It's, your, it's your, your ability to handle what it is that God has given you. And so once you come to a place to where you start to produce fruit, you're only going to produce, or a crop, you're only going to produce as much as the capacity that you currently have. So this is how I see it is that if you have 30, I'll use the 30, 60, and 100, and we'll, we'll turn it to acres. If you have 30 acres and you produce, you plant in all of the acreage, you plant in all 30 acres, it's all farmland, and you produce and you plant on all of it, and you only produce 15 acres of crop, and the other part failed, what that tells me is that you didn't steward the 30 acres properly. Now, you got 15 out of it, and that's good. And you got 15 out of it, and the Lord saw to it that you would get 15. Your master saw to it that you would get 15, excuse me, 30, because he knew you could do something with it. And so the next year comes about, and you produce 45. Oh, my gosh, I got my numbers all mixed up. You produce 25. You're almost there. You've almost filled the capacity of your 30 acres. The next year comes about, and you're able to do all 30 acres. Now what? You've been faithful in that much. Now what? Now your master is going to see to it that you get 60 acres. Why? Because you've been faithful over the 30. You've been able to steward the 30 properly. Now you've got 60 acres. Now, whenever you get to the point to where you can steward 60 acres, you'll move into the 100. Does it stop at 100? I know the Bible says 30, 60, and 100, but does it stop? I say no. You know why? Because this is a kingdom principle, and of his government, of his kingdom, you could say there is no end to it. 
And so when you're looking at this thing, it's about capacity. So when we're wanting to manifest what God has given us, we have to be able to look at where we're at and be able to continue to increase our capacity to be able to handle more. And this is what the Lord has been speaking to us, is that we're in a time right now to where we are enlarging our heart, we're enlarging our territory, we are enlarging our capacity because God has more for us. And we took, I sat in my office, and the Lord said, I want to give you a field of 30-fold, but you can't handle it because you don't have any plans. You're really diligent, Kent. You really will do anything that I tell you to do, and you'll stick with it all the way to the end. Even if nobody else follows you, you're diligent enough that you will stick with it. I applaud you for that, Kent. But you don't have any plans. As soon as I made plans, all of a sudden, within, and it took a couple of years to really get plans, but when the plans came, all of a sudden, the amount of what we were dealing with spiritually and our impact and the level of increase in people's lives just began to absolutely blossom. And this is what the Lord's been speaking, is that we've been operating at 30 for a while, and we're getting ready to move into the 60. And I've had this confirmed by two different men of God that I know very well that have said, actually, I'll say two different men of God and one woman of God that we're moving in, and it was all uh, done separately. They didn't just come together and say, yeah, let's agree to this. And God confirmed that word that we're moving into the more. But here's, here's the deal. And this is something where I didn't get, I'll get more into this next week because I'm about out of time. I have a lot, just a lot stirring and brewing in my heart. We've been here in Bonterre for 10 months, 11 months. And I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to just say a couple things, okay? Trust. I can't find real strong amongst people as a biblical doctrine. Like, I can't find a lot in the word that says you have to trust one another. But it's very, it's a very strong biblical concept. Like, you can take in the book of Acts, for example, they had all things in common, and they shared all things with each other, and even to the point to where the apostles came and said, you know, sell your land and bring, and they divided the money up to help people. Like, that, that's a level of trust that's, that's pretty incredible. And what the Lord is not interested in doing is having, and he, he, I believe he won't do, because the Bible tells us that he's, he judges nations. And then when you look at the, in Revelation, Jesus actually judged the churches. It says that he walks in the midst of them and he knows firsthand, he knows their works. And there is a, when there is a, a leadership and there's a five-fold anointing and there's a five-fold ministry on a church, which there should be, God's placed five-fold ministry to lead. And when he has placed that there, there has to come a trust for the leadership that he's placed there. It has to go back and forth. And I'm going to be really, really, really bold and really blunt, but also just say this in a very caring way. The, the level, the fullness of trust for Liz and I, it's not there like it needs to be. I'm, this is a very small group, and some of you are from Perryville. This is like overly blunt. But I just don't, I mean, I just don't like to beat around a bush. I just like to say things so then we can move forward. And we've... We've learned, like, you know, I've been wrongfully fired. I've been lied about. 
Um, I've had all kinds of rotten things that have been done to me. And I've had to learn to come out of that and learn to trust people. And I can tell you now, if there's anybody in this room, maybe with the exception of Donna, if there's anybody in this room uh, that shouldn't be able to trust people, but I do, it's me, me and Liz. But we trust you guys. We trust God in you. We trust what the Lord is doing in you, and we trust what he's doing in this church. And so there just comes the point when a leader sticks their hand. I, I know this is raw. I know this is raw, but I, I'm, a, I'm a very raw, real person. There comes a point when a leader sticks their hand behind. I'm nervous. <laughs> Can you grab my deodorant, please? <laughs> please chuckle, okay? Um, when a leader sticks his hand behind and says, come on, let's go, that you just come to a point to where you don't question things anymore, but you just go with it. Now, I didn't say you don't ask questions. True leaders are not looking for yes men, but they are looking for people to say yes. A yes man will never question the one in authority. They'll just do whatever that person says. I would never expect anybody to follow me blindly. I, go, I like what Paul said. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. But there has to come this place to where we're willing to just like let down our guard. And this would have been easier if more people were here tonight. We're missing a few and whatever. <laughs> but this, I'm just going with it. There has to come a place to where people let down their guard, they let down their wall, they let down their, their self-preservation, and they just say, you know what, God, this is right. Because here's the deal, is that if, you, if you're under me or anybody that you don't trust, any leader that you don't trust, you have to ask yourself why. Why don't you trust that leader? Have they done something heinous and that you shouldn't be underneath of them? And if that's the case, then you need to go. I mean, I'm not telling you to go. I'm just saying you shouldn't be underneath of that person, okay? Try to be very careful with my words, but just be heartfelt. I had these kind of conversations. This is a family and this is a living room. These kind of conversations, did I not have these for years with Perryville before finally it was like, we broke through. We broke through. So if you're under somebody and you can't trust, you have to ask, have they done something that's so not worth trusting or is there something in me that's stopping me from just being able to trust. Because if you believe the man or woman of God is anointed, whoever that is in whatever that situation, in this case, me, if you believe that, then you should be all in. If you believe that they're of God, you should be all in. If you can't be all in, then you have to ask yourself why. Just flat out, you just have to ask yourself why. I'm not aiming this at anybody. I'm just throwing this out there. Because I've, I've heard and I've sensed some things in the spirit this isn't from any conversation. This isn't from any dealings. This isn't for anything. This is just raw and real. I know. I say sometimes, they'll say, I don't know what we're doing. We're just following the Lord. It's kind of almost like only half true. I say that because I always want to come back to this place of like, God, I'll do whatever you want. And really, truly, I want to follow him every step of the way. I don't want to do anything unless the Lord's leading me to do it. So that's like a posture of the heart of God, I'll just stay here with you because you're the one that really knows what you're doing. But I do have some things figured out. And I do know this, that if you're at a capacity here or here or here, 
and this is 100, and this is 60, and this is 30, you can't go from here to here unless you steward this well. And you can't go from here to here unless you steward this well. And so you can apply that to anything that is going on in the kingdom. Trust is a kingdom principle. And that's really hard to do. It's really hard to trust people. There's not a person in this room that hasn't been burnt or hurt, including me. But you just have to get to a point to where it's like we're called to be together. Let's move past whatever is in the past that's holding me back. Let's move past it so we can move forward together. Because the only way forward is together. There is no one or two people moving forward and everybody else is like, oh, what are we doing here? That's, that's, not, that's, not, how it, that's not how it works. That's not how it goes. Families move together. You know what we do is, um, which we need to continue tomorrow, but we've been doing, uh, we, we noticed in, in our family there was a little bit of, uh, it, from the top, there was a little bit of selfishness going on. So we have this little blue book. We call it the little blue book. It's kind of like take your blue pill. We've got this little blue book. It's called Self-Centeredness, the Source of All Grief. And so I decided, I said, you know what? We're going to sit down and we're going to read this together as a family. It's a very small. It's like a booklet. And we read through chapter one. And as we were reading it, the Lord really pricked my heart. And I was just cut to the heart. And I'm like, all right, a leader has to go first. I'm the leader in this house. And I'm going to go first. And so after we read, I don't remember what the first title of the, the title of the first chapter was, but the whole thing's about selfishness. Yeah, that's it right there. Yep, that's the one. Yep. And, uh, I, and I, I stopped and I said, you know what, guys? I said, we're just going to go, and Liz, four boys and Liz, and I said, um, we're just going to go around and we're going to talk about just in areas where we've been selfish that, and how it's affected the other family members, and, uh, and we're going to ask each other for forgiveness. And I said, and I'm going to start. And so I named um, one or two things where I had, in areas where I had been selfish. And I said, I really am sorry for how this affected you guys. And I'm asking for, for your forgiveness. And it was just like, it was, it was like the glory fell on the table. It was awesome. And we went, we went around. Lawson had a tough time. He's only six. He had a tough time with the whole concept. But uh, we got him to squeak something out, I think. But we all gave a very heartfelt, this was my part where I've been at. And I value the covenant that we have around this table more than I value where I'm at, and I'm all in. And that's what a family, that's what a covenant family has to become like, to where we say, I value the people that are around this table, the people that are sitting in these chairs, the people that I, I meet with and talk with and, and, and uh, life groups and whatever it is that we're doing. I value you guys more than I value my own opinions, opinions or my own feelings. Feelings are real, man. Everybody's got feelings. I've had my feelings hurt many times, plenty of times. You even had people made fun of my shirt a little bit today. But no, that, I'm just kidding. That did, that did not hurt my feelings at all. It's, you, guy wears a flowered shirt, he's asking for it. That's just all there is. So <laughs> you just told on yourself. Um, <laughs> so, you know, but, but feelings, are, feelings are real. It's not, that, it's not that we don't validate feelings. It's just that we don't live by them. It's not our highest standard of how we communicate and walk in love with each other. Our highest standard of walking in love is what the Word of God says. And so for me, I'm wanting to go from wherever to 30 to 60 to 100 and continue to increase. But when you're talking about a family unit, this is a family unit. You're talking about a family unit. It has to be done together. If it's not done together, then there, then there is no family. 
There is no unit. I don't believe in moving that way. I can, te- I can tell you, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know in my, that I know that I know that I know in my knower, the reason why we've been here 11 months and we haven't seen the growth that I've seen here, it just came to us. It's because the, the, the level of what God wants to do inside has not come to the level to sustain the growth that will come from the outside. It's, it's just not there yet. So we just have more work to do. You say, well, how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. Look here at Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to finish with this right here. This is my first closing, and it is my last closing. I see the time. I'm well aware. Ephesians chapter 4. Everybody say, I love Pastor Kent. Now say it like you mean it. Thank you. I haven't said that in a while, and the reason I laughed is because uh, we had people that were calling us a cult, and uh, Wendy was like, you know, whenever you say that, it's, it could sound cultish when you have people repeat how much they love you. So anyways, only say it if you mean it. Hallelujah. <laughs> Listen, if you're going to do something for God, you're going to have people come against you. And see, this is why, this is why what happens on the inside is so important to me. We have enough pressure from the outside because we're just doing what God's told us to do, we don't need any pressure from the inside. We don't need it. And I'm very aware that Paul, Paul said, he said in Acts chapter 20, he said that beware because there, there will come a time when ravenous wolves will come in. And he said they will also rise up from amongst you. Now, I don't think anyone here is a ravenous wolf. And I, I, wolf, and I mean that <laughs> I mean that, but I am aware that every single person, everybody go like this, just, just pinch yourself. Everybody just humor me. Just pinch yourself just like that. You know what that is? That's called flesh. Every one of us, if anyone, you can't pinch yourself, please come tell me because you're either an angel or a demon, one of the two. <laughs> I don't know, but we've all got flesh, right? That means that you and I both have, have the potential within us to do things to disrupt the flow in the unity. And I want to be the first one to say, whatever it takes for me to do, I don't, I don't, want, to be, I don't want to be that person. I actually want to be the one that pioneers love and unity and graciousness and long-suffering and going with the flowedness. You want to, you want to find a really difficult thing to do? Stand up and be bold and say, here's the vision and here we go. That ain't easy to do. It's not hard to do it, but it's hard to do it and keep everybody happy. Let's, let's rephrase it. It's impossible to do. Ephesians chapter 4, and in verse 1, let me show you this. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Chapters 1 through 3, he talks about all the things that we are and we have in Christ Jesus. He says, here's the inheritance and the blessing you have. And then in verse one of chapter four, he says, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with short suffering. No, no, long suffering. How long do you suffer with people? How long has God suffered you? <laughs> There's your answer. There's your answer. Have you ever woken up in the morning and you're like, God, you're so long-suffering, or went to bed at night or in the middle of the day or at some point, and you're like, God, you're so long-suffering. If I were God, I'd have killed me a long time ago. 
That's just not how he is, though. And listen to the next word. It says, bearing with one another in love. You know what the word bearing means? Anybody tell me what the word bearing means? Huh? It could, it, it kind of carries that connotation. It means to put up with. Literally, you go back and look it up, it means to put up with. We came into covenant with one another 18 blissful years ago. And she's like, well, yeah. Uh, it has, hold my hand. Uh, no, that's weird. Okay. It's not weird, but um, we came into covenant 18 years ago. And do you know, probably within about six months for sure, her and I both realized that we were going to have to put up with one another. Now, if we had a divorce mindset, and I'm not coming down to anybody that's been divorced or anything like that, please just don't go there. But if we had had a divorce mindset, what we would have done was said, I don't have to put up with you. But because we don't have a divorce mindset, it's never entered into our thoughts. It's never entered into our conversation. We are uh, stuck like glue for the rest of our lives. You know why? Because we think in terms of covenant. We think like covenant-minded people. And as difficult as she is, I will just have to put up with her. Of course, I say that as a joke. Y'all get who's the bigger problem in this marriage, and it's me. But just being serious, though, every marriage has got stuff where you have to put up with the other person. Why do you do it, though, is the question. Why? It's because you value not so much the other person as you do what you have between you and the other person. It's covenant. And when you realize that you and I were all brought in to the family of God through the same blood, because God speaks through blood when he speaks of covenant, that we were brought in through the blood of Jesus. We've been born into the family of God. We have the same blood running through our veins. That's the kind of stuff that we're made of. We have to, when, we, when you realize it, you have to put up with people. And I don't mean like, well, I guess I'll put up with you. I don't mean that. I mean to where you have this genuine love for the people that you are with, even to the point to where you get to where you like them. There's some people over the years that in my mind I was thinking, I do not like being around you, but I will love you. And the more of the love of God that I push their way, the more I begin to like them. And some people that I didn't like very much, I turned out that I liked a whole bunch. And there's not anybody in this room like that, Okay. I'm just saying that I've had those occasions over the years. Why? Because I, I made a point to bear with people. But look at the next verse. It says endeavoring. You know what it means to endeavor? That means you'll just do whatever it takes to get across the finish line. Endeavoring to keep, notice the language here, to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. How can you keep something you don't already have? It's because when you come into Christ... And I come into Christ, and we come into relationship together, we realize that through him, we're both on the exact same playing field. We're both, we both came in needing the exact same thing. We needed salvation. We needed healing. We needed restoration. We needed covenant. We needed family. And because we came in on that, we were already given what we needed. We were already given what we needed. So now we have to work to keep it. 
So my covenant with you is that I will always work to keep peace and unity. Even if it means tough conversations, even if it means coming to the drawing board and and saying, what's going on here? And how can we fix this? And what do we need to do here? We never, I never, you know what I always do when, when people, this isn't about getting you to do something. Please don't misunderstand me. This is just about getting us to all just make a decision to, to walk in love. I never come to people and say, you have to do X, Y, Z. What I do, what I do now, especially as I come to people and say, what's the problem here? How come this is happening? Why do you have a stinky attitude? Why do you have a problem with everything that I do? And just begin to ask questions. And then to the surface will either come, well, I just don't agree with you, or I hate you, or I hate people, or I hate my life. And if they'll receive healing, then we get healed. If they won't receive healing, then we just keep loving them. But if the vision comes, then the Holy Spirit will just see them exit out. Why? Because I value the covenant. God values covenant more than he values anything else. If you don't believe that, then you don't believe the gospel. The gospel is all about covenant. Gospel is all about the blood of Jesus coming and making a way for us to have right standing with the Father to enter into that covenant through blood. I don't, I'm not satisfied wherever we're at. I'm not satisfied here or here. And even if we get here, when we get here, I want to go further. Thank you, Jesus. This is really, just have mercy on me. This is very tough for me to share. Uh, I've been in, uh, I've had a lot of turmoil over the last couple of days because there's some of these things I just needed to share. Those of you that got, you know, you got kids or even any relationship, marriage relationship, sometimes you just have to come to the table and just have tough conversations. But you have to realize I say these things Because I value you. I value what God has in you. I value the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the anointing, all of that. But where it all comes together is when we just come to this place where we lay ourselves down and say, it's actually not about me. It's about you and it's about us. And then we will step into the sweet place. I know it. I know we'll step into the sweet place because we've already pioneered that. I'm telling you about fruit. I'm telling you about farming a particular crop that I have already farmed and I've already seen fruit and I already know what it takes to get there and I'm willing to do it over and over and over and over again because what I have been tired of is growing up and I love the church, but I got tired of being in churches where everybody was at their throats and people were having roast pastor for dinner. Pardon my French, but that's crap. It's divisive, it's arrogant, it's prideful, and it doesn't produce the fruit of righteousness that God wants to have happen within a family. And I'm willing to stand and fight for it. And I don't fight with people because people aren't the problem. It's just the enemy wanting to come in through our flesh. Amen. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com.